and welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Bark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And today we'll be diving into the first in our new series, X-Rated and Animated, The World of Ralph Bakshi, where we'll be digging into the work of a true and controversial auteur of animated cinema. Today we'll be discussing Fritz the Cat from 1972. All the stuff to see and all the kicks and all the girls are out there and me, a writer and a poet who should be having adventures and experiencing all the diversities and paradoxes and ironies of life and passing over all the roads of the world and digging all the cities and towns and, and rivers and the oceans and making all of them chicks. Oh, God. As a writer and a poet, it is my duty to get out there and dig the world. Just win the whole scene while there is still time, man. Fritz the Cat, which is Ralph Bakshi's first feature-length animated effort, follows a hypocritical, swinging college student who is literally a cat as he explores New York City and travels out west in an iconic trip through 60s counterculture and rebellion. Mm-hmm. And Fritz the Cat was a character created by Robert Crumb, uh, the infamous and perhaps most well-known of the underground comics artists uh, of the 60s and 70s. And there's a whole bunch of contention and controversy surrounding uh, this film and uh, it's and Fritz's original creator, uh, which I think we should kind of circle back and come back to uh, after we talk about the film, because that's kind of its own its own section there. So, um, so uh, Jeremy, what were your first impressions? Well, yeah, so this is a pretty wild film. I, I was mentioning to Mark before we even started recording here, I feel like I've seen this film before for some reason. It's one of those weird films where the imagery is kind of so ubiquitous and you've probably seen clips of it somewhere at some point in your life because mm. for, for me it just felt very familiar. Maybe it was just a stylistic thing. I'm not sure if I watched uh, some other of uh, Ralph Bakshi's less um, adult work as a kid, and maybe that's why the style felt so familiar to me, mm-hmm. um, or something like that. But this is this is a really a punchy, wild film that pretty accurately, I think, dives into some of the complicated, um, complicated, wild lives of what it meant to be a young person in in the late nineteen sixties or early nineteen seventies. Yeah, it's certainly a commentary on the nineteen sixties. It. Uh, <laughs> not exactly subtle about it in a lot of ways because no. uh, I guess the fact that it's animated actually helped it in, in a lot of ways because uh, mm-hmm. I mean it literally the film literally begins with a hippie getting pissed on so it's not gonna yeah. you know it's it's really just laying it out there for you um, he walks beneath these uh, steel rafters of, of a building that these construction workers are, are working on and and that's how the movie starts out like as the credits start to roll you see like the yellow stream coming down um so this film is not shy uh or necessarily subtle like i said in, in its messages uh, yeah. but that's also the kind of person that uh that ralph bakshi is he's a very uh visceral kind of uh energetic he throws things at the wall and sees what sticks he's that kind of person so um he comes right out the gate with his first film um and like i said i think he uses the animated medium to his advantage uh he's able to show heightened characters and events and, and situations in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does use anthropomorphic animals and... Uh, in this he, film. In this film. Not in every um, film, yeah. Not in every film. Um, but he uses that and he deals in a lot of stereotypes, um, 
which he would go on to explore more in the next film that we'll talk about, Heavy Traffic, which is a lot more personal for him. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, Coonskin as well. Um, and I think with this movie, he took the, you know, he took the character that existed and he did his own thing with it. He took it in a different direction, uh, mm -hmm. which is part of the reason I'm sure why, uh, why R. Crumb is not super happy with this movie. Um, but, yeah. you know, he, because as, as you said, Jeremy, Ralph Bakshi is an auteur and I think he puts his own stamp on things and that's what he did with this movie. Um, so he did that, but he also, like, like we talked about, um, it is also commentary on the sixties. So um, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, he goes into the hypocrisy uh, mostly, like you know, he has white characters discussing with his uh, with uh, what's supposed to be a black character about how they how much they respect African Americans and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it obviously comes off as insensitive on their part, um, yeah. kind of ignorant. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And at the same time, though, I would say uh, no one is spared because from. No. You know, from the youth and drug culture, and then he goes to the old guard with like the cops, you know, that are depicted as that are as literally pigs. literally pigs, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're very inept, you know. So I think from the left wing to the right wing, I think he kind yeah. of hits all those notes equally. Um, yeah. And I want to ask you because it was released, you know, so so soon after the '60s ended. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that helped the film? Do you think that allowed the filmmakers to kind of look back? on the previous de decade, you know, with a little more perspective after it was over, you think that was a good thing that they waited? Yeah. So I think that, I think that the timing of this movie was super, super important to, uh, a, just the content and how the public responded to the content. Mm -hmm. Um, but B just, um, kind of the, the audience and who would be connecting to it. Yeah. The, there's a famous quote and I'm not going to get it verbatim because I am not capable of quoting such a long quote as verbatim, but in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Hunter S. Thompson talks about the crashing of the wave, um, referring to the hippie culture and how at some point it all kind of just collapsed on itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I believe, came out in either 1970 or 1971. So, when, you know, when this is being written, that's the kind of idea yeah. and the cultural zeitgeist. It's this big hippie movement that all of a sudden... You know, the Manson murders happened. Altamont happened with the, the yeah. fan getting killed during the Rolling Stones concert. And all of these people who were supposed to be about love and peace mm -hmm. and said that the drug culture wasn't anything violent or bad are all of a sudden having it all kind of crashing in on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think Ralph Bakshi, you know, he I mean, he's from New York City. Um, and, and, you know, like I mentioned, probably more than I should on this podcast, I, I live in New York City. Um, and th there is this weird thing, particularly around NYU. So, so the early scenes in this movie take place in Washington Square Park, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty much right on, right, like, like NYU basically surrounds Washington Square Park mm -hmm. and could almost be considered like, like a quad, you know, as you mm -hmm. would see at a normal university. That's kind of just where all the NYU kids hang out. And NYU is known as being kind of a historically progressive college that attracts a lot of these young hippie kids. But also with that, it attracts a lot of people who are just kind of getting into those movements um, because it's it's a wave that they're trying to ride. It's a cultural movement that they want to be part of. And I think that I don't think that Ralph Bakshi is so much attacking the people who are actually have something to say politically in this movie. I think he's more attacking those people who are just getting in on the hippie movement and things yeah. like that because they want to take drugs, they want to party, they want to have a lot of sex. They don't actually have any real mm -hmm. conviction to the ideas that were tied to the movement. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's why Fritz is a complicated character is because he's someone who 
you know, he, he's not really like that where he's just doing these movements. He's just getting involved with these different movements, everything from hippies to neo-Nazis. He's not getting involved with all that so much because he it's just a trendy thing. I think he's really a guy who's out there looking for answers, which yeah. makes him an interesting person to follow because I think, you know, we're all kind of out here looking for answers. So he's so naive that it makes him an interesting person yeah. to get behind and watch <clears throat> navigate this really complicated world that he's not even prepared for. He's looking for answers, but at the same time, you know, Fritz as a character, he just wants to have a good time, you know, explore, mm -hmm. experiment, uh, which yeah. is obviously of that time. Um, but he is, I would say, misguided, to say the least. Mm -hmm. The way he uh, he tries to achieve those things is not always the best. And I think the joke may ultimately be on him most of all, in a way, of the film. Uh, yeah. Because, because uh, like you said, he, you know, he does want answers, but it's like, at the end of the day, how deep is Fritz, really? You know, is he... I mean, I think mm -hmm. at the end of the day, he really just wants to, uh, it, I mean, I, at the very end of the film, you see how yeah. he kind of, he goes on this long, uh, you know, he goes, starts to go into like a monologue uh, that has a message to it, but really it just turns turns into a big orgy. And it's like, all right, yeah. that's, you know, that's kind of where he was going with that. So, um, and mm -hmm. it's interesting because, you know, again, Fritz as a character did exist mostly in the 60s is when, you know, a lot of, most of the, the comics were, were out there uh, with him. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's interesting that Bakshi took that and kind of, you know, because it was after the 60s now, he kind of like turned it on his head a little bit yeah. and did something different with it. He made it a little darker. And one thing yeah. to note, which is where, you know, the series title, X-Rated and Animated, comes from. I believe that was actually something that was used on a poster for mm -hmm. Fritz the Cat or something, you know, not exactly like that, but along those lines. And this was, this was, I believe, the first X-Rated animated feature film. I believe um, so. Yeah. So it was kind of it was kind of also a cultural moment. You know, I mean, this film was wildly successful. Mm -hmm. I think it made something like 90 million dollars against. Yeah, it was wow. very, very successful. Yeah, small budget. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was it was a really punchy thing that people hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. You and know, it's, it's, it's hard to be successful with an X rating, too. I mean, we'll talk about that yeah. more later. But yeah, especially so it's, then. It's I think especially now, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now a lot of things are released unrated and, you know, things yeah. like that. But yeah, back then it was like very unheard of that you would go see an x-rated movie you know in the theater yeah. unless it was I mean, a porno so yeah i mean this is all this is only 40 years after the Hayes code was put in place yeah and you a know, lot of like people is... a lot of people assumed this was uh, like a porno too like people yeah. did people didn't really understand that it was a legitimate film i think at mm -hmm. first it took a while and then eventually they got picked up by a lot of uh festivals and i think they were in Cannes, right they uh i believe as well so yeah i mean they yeah they uh definitely got a uh, started to get some gain some traction and get some cred. Um, and I think uh, we'll, we'll go back and talk about the X rating a little bit in, uh, after we discuss the film itself a little bit more because I want to talk about uh, a big thing with Bakshi that I noticed, Jeremy, um, mm -hmm. is his his style is very apparent, his animation style. Um, and I think in this film, he really he introduces that style and it's um, the way I would describe it is, is raw yet realistic. Mm -hmm. um, and it has a lot of uh, naturalistic voice acting as well. Yeah. Um, the characters tend to sound converse conversational and, and genuine. Um, like they don't sound like they're, you know, voice acting in quotes like most people uh, were likely used to at the time. Because um, mm -hmm. usually it's not very, you know, for as over the top the animation was and the characters were, the, the uh, dialogue's very subdued. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it does. It does have a certain naturalism to it, mm -hmm. um, which is I, something with animation you don't always 
Yeah. Yeah, it's and that's, hard, you know? And that's something that you'll see throughout his films is, is that kind of dialogue. And, um, you know, he's he's able to have his, his characters have, like, they discuss nuanced and complicated issues, which you don't always see in, in animated films as well. Um, and also he improvised a lot. I mean, he literally took a, a tape recorder out in New York and just walked around and would yeah. just record people. Uh, his audio people that worked in the film hated him for it, but, you know. I would, ima- <laughs> like, I would imagine so. Yeah, he would turn it over to them and they'd be like, this is unusable. We can't, you know. <laughs> can't do he, anything with this. But he just, you know, he really believed that this is a raw, like, real thing. And, mm-hmm. and I think he ended up using most of that uh, most of the audio from the film is just from like his recorded tapes. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, a lot of Im- improvisation, like the, be- um, the beginning scene with the, when the cops come actually Bakshi is one of the voices of those cops. Oddly enough. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, he was just kind of riffing there with the other guy and you know, stuff like that. Also, he would just like ask people questions in bars and stuff like that and get their reactions. Uh, so I think that's like a really cool and unique way to approach an animated film as well. Yeah, and I think I think hitting on that with Ralph Bakshi, because, you know, his films, it's one of those things where we can talk about the plots, um, but once again, when you're, when you're digging into an animated film, I think in particular, um, watching a film like that just for plot, if, if that's how you're watching it, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think kind of the ideas that are being presented, particularly because, you know, in, in a live action film, there are things that can work their way into the film that are circumstantial or even accidental or surprising just because of the nature of production. Whereas on an animated film, every single inch of the frame is being thought out. You know, it's right. there, nothing's just being thrown There's in no there. There's no accidents, really. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that a film like this is really a study. Um, and I think that, so talking about uh, Ralph Bakshi's process is kind of a good use of our time here, I yeah. think, because he, he was really interesting both in the way he would record audio, but also just in terms of how he built his settings like he would actually go out in new york city or any locations he was going to he was going to that he could get his hands on and he would take pictures and have his animators and himself draw over that so Mm -hmm. he really was concerned with this sense of gritty realism Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the things that for me personally i'm so drawn to about these worlds he creates um later he would actually use rotoscoping in his films to literally take real images and then animate them yeah he was very interested in that in that process that technique yeah, but in this film, you know, for me, the fact that he was getting these real settings is something that kind of elevates this and makes it feel just a little bit different mm-hmm. than other animated films you would see because there, there is that street-level feel. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to think, like, the, the landscape of cinema at this time, like, I, I personally would consider this part of the new Hollywood movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a movie, and he's a Certainly. filmmaker who doesn't get talked about a lot, but, I mean, there are stories with Ralph Bakshi. You know, he knew Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. He knew mm-hmm. George Lucas. He knew Scorsese. Like, all these guys who were in New York a lot. Right. Um, although Coppola and Lucas were from L.A., but, um, you but know. Still, yeah. it was still, yeah. It was still that wave of filmmakers yeah. um, who, who were all kind of in that same boat. And I think that this is one of those films that totally mm. has that gritty realist. Yeah. Like, this could easily be, if you made this live action, mm-hmm. I could easily see this having a similar tone and look as a yeah. taxi driver yeah. or a panic in needle park or, or one was... of those very gritty seventies. Yeah. And that's what he was going for, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, what you said is true because I think animation has such a stigma to it mm-hmm. that to me, Ralph Bakshi is as much an auteur as everyone else that you mentioned there, but he totally. doesn't get, you know, he doesn't get put into those groups because he's an animator. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he, the way he approaches his films, I, the way I noted it was, I, I said stylized realism. 
yeah. which is, you know, as you said, like he would have his animators trace photographs that he took, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to read this quote because I think it's important um, to get the idea of who the man is, uh, the idea behind, like basically his philosophy when he goes into a movie, mm-hmm. uh, to making a movie, because he wanted this film... Uh, when he first started out, he wanted it to be the antithesis of the animated film produced by the Walt Disney Company. Yeah. Um, and that totally makes sense when you watch this movie. It does. And, and uh, I have a quote I wanted to read by him. He's a very quotable person, by the way. He's very outspoken. Um, if you've never seen an interview with him or heard him speak, you have to look him up. He is very entertaining and thought-provoking. And uh, so of this film, uh, Fritz the Cat, uh, Bakshi said, My approach to animation as a director is live action. I don't approach it in the traditional animation ways. None of our characters get up and sing because it's not the type of picture I'm trying to do. I want people to believe my characters are real, and it's hard to believe they're real if they start walking down the street singing. So he was, even though these are anthropomorphic animals, he is Mm -hmm. going for a sort of realism and, like you said, street-level way of, of approaching it. I think that is what makes him different, and that's why this film stood out so much at the time. Yeah, and I think it's why it holds up. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, there are obviously things in it now that we look at and we might cringe a little bit, mm-hmm. um, just because of the subject matter. It but it's one yeah. of those things where I think that the thing that Ralph Bakshi is kind of actively attacking is our um, our perception and our reaction, our perception it. and and our our natural instinct to cringe. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I think that's what good satire mm-hmm. does because I I do think that. To a certain extent, this is a satire. You know, he's not oh, portraying yeah. like for like the, like the settings and the feeling are realistic, but mm-hmm. these are cartoonish exaggerations mm-hmm. of human beings and the way we view them. And for a little a little background on Bakshi, like he he's from uh, an area in Brooklyn called Brownsville, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a lower income area where there's you know there's there's a lot of diversity. Um, you know, there are, there's a lot of illegal kind of dangerous dealings going on. So he's someone who, you know, he's not coming from a really sheltered perspective and making guesses at what all these different people around New York city and around the world are like, Like he's, yeah, yeah, he's lived it. He's had these real experiences. And I think that's why he feels, Mm -hmm. um, empowered for lack of a better, for lack of a better term. Well, he was embedded in, in that that lifestyle and that cult, like he, yeah. you know, he, as a young child, he actually went to an all African-American school. Yeah. I, I believe he was like the only white kid there until they pulled him out of there. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, he's, he is, um, he's a real deal. He embeds himself in, in mm-hmm. his material and he makes his films from his life and from what he's seen and from, you know, conversations he's had with people and things that he's heard. So um, mm-hmm. I think he definitely comes at it from his own, point of view and i think we should talk about his beginnings a little bit um the beginnings of of bakshi himself uh, mm-hmm. so he started out um his first job was <laughs> was with uh terry tunes which was like uh, basically like a saturday morning type of uh program put on i believe it was C- cbs that that was in charge of that and he would uh his very first job was basically getting rid of like dirt and smudges on on the cells and things like that um so that was his job and he would commute four hours there and back you know to get there because even though he lived in new york he wasn't in the city at that point um but you know he really worked his way up and he went see somehow from that he got to working on actual animation and then he went on to directing and you know he just he actually got his own uh imprint there under his own name 
Um, so it's it's very impressive. I think people just saw that he had this raw talent and they wanted mm-hmm. to harness it, and they saw how driven he was. Um, because that first job he had at the at the studio, someone commented like, you know, oh, we thought you would qu- you would have quit by now because of what we we're making you do. So it's like the fact that he showed up every day and that he was so tenacious and he mm-hmm. had that drive. You know, I think that it comes from that all tour nature nature that he just wanted to make his own films. So and also yeah. it's, it's interesting that he started out, you know, with kid friendly uh, <laughs> yeah. fair because of, of where he went. But I think he obviously always wanted to to make his own more adult centered uh, entertainment. But um, I, I think it's interesting where he came from. Um, so eventually uh, he was able to, you know, he wanted to make his own personal film and he had the idea for a film called heavy traffic, which is mm-hmm. the next film we'll be talking about. Um, but because he's right out the gate as an animator and no one knew who he was really, you know, he, his, uh, the producer that he was working with uh, Steve Krantz, he suggested that he work with an established title and uh, Ralph Bakshi was very into comics. He would read comics all the time and he came across our crumbs work with Fritz the cat and he liked the character a lot and was, you know, thought the strips were entertaining and he thought he could do something with that. So he figured, you know, maybe I'll make this my first film. I'll take these comic strips and I'll adapt them into a feature. Um, and really it was that producer, Steve Krantz that helped him a lot. Um, he was kind of like a, a well-known guy at the time he worked on, uh, he worked with like he was a writer for Milton Berle, Steve Allen, stuff like that. Um, so and he helped him. Uh, I believe he got him a job working on Spider-Man, uh, animating that show as well. So he uh, he helped him, and I think he was kind of like the link between actually getting uh, from the character Fritz the Cat to actually having uh, having Ralph actually meet with uh, Robert Crumb and mm-hmm. talk to him about making the film, which at first Robert Crumb was, was all into the idea. He, he was on board. But... Yeah, he, he was on board. He liked what, you know, what he was going to do with it. But I think as the film itself developed and like, you know, and, and Bakshi started to put his own ideas into it more, I think he started to shy away from it a little bit. Um, yep. But I guess, you know, it's, I guess we should talk about that now with, with the character. Cause I think it's very interesting. Do you mm-hmm. want to go into that a little bit about what happened with the, with the actual character of Fritz the cat? Uh, with R. Crumb's uh, feelings on the film? Yeah, so from from what I understand, um, R. Crumb saw the film after the fact and was not only dissatisfied, but like just hated, like totally hated this film. He thought that what Bakshi had done was basically take his character and just totally bastardize him and tear mm-hmm. him apart and turn him into something totally different. Um, and then I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, didn't R. Crumb then after that eventually he killed Fritz the Cat in his comics? He did. <laughs> right? He killed Fritz the Cat. He As was so final, upset about how yeah. Yeah, his final statement on the matter, I guess. Yeah. He um, he decided that, that Bakshi had, had ruined it so much in an, such an irreversible way mm-hmm. that the creator of this beloved character would rather see the character be dead than see people continue <laughs> to perceive him as the character that right. Bakshi had created. Yeah. Or had which, evolved. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's because he doesn't, you know, R. Crumb doesn't talk about it much, but I, I've tried to look up, you know, th- him speaking about it. He really doesn't, he, he's actually mentioned that he kind of blacks that period out because he, <laughs> I guess it just disturbs him so much. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because, you know, I have respect for both men and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, you, there's two sides to every story and every, you know, every argument or anything like that. So you have mm-hmm. to take that into account. And um, so it's one of those weird things for me because... Um, like I said, I you know I've I've read Arkham and I, I I do enjoy his comics and um, 
I actually read a decent amount of Fritz the Cat comics, and I, the thing is, I don't think, you know, I don't. I wouldn't say that uh, Bakshi necessarily got the character wrong or anything like that. Yeah. I think he was pretty true to what the character was in the comics, but he just took it in different places, and I guess was a little, you know, too overtly political for Crumb's taste. Um, Crumb saw a lot of the film as kind of anti, um, you know, anti-left wing, which I guess, mm-hmm. like I said, like, you know, I think both sides get it pretty equally in the film. Yeah, he's, he's a, as, as, and I think we've used this term before, Ralph Bakshi is an equal opportunity destroyer. Yeah. You know, there, there's no one, if, if someone is, is behaving in a certain way that Bakshi finds unfavorable or, mm-hmm. you know, morally wrong he will not hesitate to just take them down regardless right. of their affiliations or belief system and the other thing about that is that Bakshi thought the the comic strip itself lacked a lot of depth and or depth sorry lacked a lot of depth so he made changes to it that he thought made it more interesting um, mm-hmm. and a lot of those changes uh, as we alluded to before it made the world of the film a lot grimmer and, and more violent and hostile uh, which is not really what the comic strip was like. So I think that was another big difference there. Um, it's a lot more, um, I guess, pessimistic would be the word. Um, because yeah, it's, it, I mean, yeah, it's not an optimistic movie. Like this, no. this movie is is not saying things are going to be okay. This movie <laughs> no, is pretty much saying not at all. everything is going down the drain and it's not yeah. coming back. And part of that is, is like you said, that kind of hit that bubble where they were looking back at the 60s and seeing things crashing down in, in a way. Um, so they kind of could look at it with that, with that perspective. Um, but some of what uh, Crumb has said about the film is that uh, one one quote is he said they put words into his mouth that I never would have had him say, um, mm-hmm. and apparently he filed a lawsuit to have his name taking off name taken off the credits of the film, which they are still on the credits, so I'm not sure what ends up happening with that. Yeah, I guess it I, I think the movie probably just did so well and they made so many prints of it. Yeah, that it might have got taken off at some point, but not until everyone had already seen it and they already made mm-hmm. you know all million copies right and the film was very it did go on to be very successful um although there was it was a long road i would say the, the film had a very troubled production history uh mm-hmm. and there was a lot of controversy around the release um so and but yeah eventually even with the x rating it was let's see so produced on a budget of i'm seeing seven hundred thousand here uh yeah. it grossed over 90 million so yeah. that is, you know, for an animated film, an X-rated animated film, to come out at that time and to make that much money, um, that's for, pretty. For any for any film for any on film. a seven hundred thousand yeah. dollar budget to make exactly. ninety million dollars, that <laughs> right. like that's a big deal. That that's like that's a splash. Exactly. Yeah. So it was. There's something about it. It tapped into something. Uh, maybe it was mm-hmm. a zeitgeist, like you said, or I'm not yeah. sure exactly. Maybe people were just curious about it. Maybe the X rating actually helped them in the end. Well, what's interesting to think about, too, is I would imagine that a large amount of the audience for this movie were the exact people that it was taking down. Yeah, probably. You know, probably like a lot the, of those those p- kind of post-hippies. Yeah, let's smoke a had, J, go watch the movies. Yeah, it's, like, like oh, it's probably those people who are watching it saying, aha, yeah. those idiots, exactly. and not realizing that. This movie's that. just, like, shitting all over them the whole time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but I think that's what makes it interesting and why, why it connects is it's it's – Hitting on something very true that yeah. even people who are attacked in this movie can mm-hmm. maybe even find something to enjoy or also like you know laugh at themselves. Our last series we talked about um, the Cheech and Chong movie Up in Smoke, and we had talked about how people that were that were similar to that lifestyle would go see that movie, but also people did, you know people that didn't take drugs at all could go see that movie and have a mm-hmm. great time with it. And I think this is similar where you could just. No matter who you are, you could walk into the the theater and and have a good time with this film and enjoy it on a certain level, um, yeah. you know. And you could respect it as a film, which wasn't really done at that time with animated 
movies, right? So, um, yeah. so well, and I think one one thing that I think is interesting with animated movies that um, they, they occasionally gets brought up, but particularly with like more adult animated things, like for me, you know, for a little promotion, like I'm a huge huge fan of the show BoJack Horseman. Um, and I don't know. Do you watch BoJack Horseman, Mark? Have I, have, I saw that? the first season. I haven't okay. watched it since then, but yeah. So, so that show is really, really dark, like super, super dark. And I, and it's, you know, it's funny, but it's really dark kind of in the similar way that Fritz the Cat is very political, mm-hmm. you know, deals with things like depression. And, and I think that cer- certain times if used properly, animated shows can actually dive into much deeper kind of truer controversial issues because there is that buffer when we're watching we aren't saying those are real people like if this was a live action film some of the things that the characters did in this Mm -hmm. that never go like they never get punished or they never get discussed Mm -hmm. that they're wrong um i think if that was a live action film we wouldn't be able to connect to those characters because we'd say Oh, that's like, like we, we, cause you never really, ironically, uh, we never really get the save the cat moment in this movie where like, there, there's not like a redeeming thing for a lot of these characters. No, no. Um, but for some reason you kind of just watch and it like, yeah. you're you, like, you'll be, you'll say, Oh, that's wrong. But it's not like an infuriating kind of wrong yeah, where I you're mean, saying that's, that's irresponsible. It, yeah. yeah. That's what makes it more real. Like the characters, they make mm-hmm. mistakes and they, they are ignorant and they do things that you wouldn't would necessarily want people to, yeah. to do but you know that's the way that a lot of people are so even but i though... think the difference is that we don't need to see them get redeemed you know in a live exactly, action yeah. film there needs to be that redeeming moment because mm-hmm. we're watching real human beings yeah and if we don't then we're looking at them saying all right that's a villain like that's just a yeah, straight up it's villain. almost the opposite like like i talked yeah. about the end of the film where he kind of uh mm-hmm. just goes just forgets everything that he was even talking about it <laughs> goes yeah. into an obscene act so i mean you know it's uh yeah they knew what they were doing with the film and but, you know, as, as dirty, in quotes, I guess, as you want to call this movie, um, and it's, you know, it's, in its defense, I guess it is a little dirty, but, but I mean, also... It's pretty dirty. It's pretty like, dirty. I mean, it starts I mean, with, yeah. with, yeah, a guy getting pissed L- on, but. Like, you, you should have, like, you should have seen the film already at this point if you've gotten this far into the podcast, yeah. um, but if you're recommending it to anyone... You know, do them a favor and don't say, "Oh, it's like a little dirty." Like no. it's it, like don't it don't is. watch this with but, your kids. Yeah, <laughs> don't no, watch d- it with your definitely parents. Definitely don't watch it with your kids. Definitely don't do that. Yeah. But you know, because it was made in the early '70s, and I, I mean, this mm-hmm. is maybe just me, the way I feel. I feel like, you know, it, things when you look back on them, it's like you know, the stuff that comes out now is like 50 times worse. So it's like it doesn't yeah. seem as dirty. But anyway, mm-hmm. what I was getting at is like the X rating that they gave this film. I mean, was that justified? It's it's hard to say. Um, yeah. I, you know the rating system is a whole nother conversation to have if, if it's even necessary or anything like that but yeah you know they were calling fritz the cat pornographic because only porn porno films would get that x rating and so they you know the the ratings board was arguing that this was basically a pornographic film which ralph Bakshi, you know i, I think it justifiably was against and he said yeah. you know animals having sex is not pornography that's what he said yeah. so um you know and this is, is at the end of the day it's a cartoon and there was a lot of misconceptions about the film and this content and um so i think now people look back on it and i think it has a, a credibility because people know who ralph Bakshi is more now mm-hmm. and and they can look back on this and respect this film but at the time it took a really long time uh, for people to get there, and um, and actually, it was in ni- uh, in 1972. It did premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, and I think that really helped it. That along with a lot of like you know reviews that it was getting, like from Rolling Stone and New York Times, people were noticing the film and noticing that it had merit and more to it than just 
you know, just, oh, this is a dirty movie where animals have sex, you know, like, I think, yeah, yeah. so I mean, um, that X rating, that could be much debated. If it helped the film, if it didn't, I don't know. I'd say it um, probably did. It probably did because I'm sure it, at that time it piqued people's curiosity, especially you know, especially being the first uh, feature film animated uh, X-rated yeah. movie. So. I mean, they put it on the poster. If they're putting it on the poster <laughs> of the film, yeah, then I, chances are someone at some point said, you know, yeah. every time we tell someone that this film is X-rated, they want to see mm-hmm. it more. So <laughs> there was probably that kind of yeah. I doubt that was Bakshi's idea, but I'm sure. Uh, no. Once he no, saw that, the money that, coming in, he probably yeah. didn't mind too much. That that, that sounds like an executive. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is executive written all over it yeah like we got to cash in on this x rating if we're gonna have yeah. it which i guess you kind of have to because uh just having that x rating is just is a fact that it doesn't get yeah. uh, released to as many theaters or it doesn't show as much so it's, it can't show on tv you can't show it on tv so yeah um i don't know actually i didn't look into it jeremy i don't know if you noticed does it still have an x rating or has it been changed is it like r or unrated or i don't know if you um, look, look that up but um I'm not sure. Cause sometimes ratings do get changed ret- retroactively, uh, which goes into my argument that the rating system is kind of dumb. But <laughs> um, um, yeah, well, I think um, I mean it's possible it's been changed. I'm not seeing anything. Yeah. But um, sometimes when it gets released on DVD or whatever, it'll. Yeah, but it's also weird because you'll see movies like um, like Spaceballs or something like. I don't know why this one just stuck with me. I think it's because I had a VHS of Spaceballs. <laughs> when I was a kid, which I'm also dating myself right now. Um, wow. But but I remember that it was PG, and there were a lot oh, of PG-13. Yeah. Jo- so it's one of those things where, like, they might have just keep the rating that... Mm-hmm. Because it, it, I think I think you could see if a movie was kind of um, rated... Like, if, if, you, if you had a movie like this rated PG-13, mm-hmm. because that's... Or PG, because that's what the rating system was, and then they changed the system and reassessed and said, mm-hmm. you know, this is probably too obscene to be PG, I could see them making it r-rated but i have a hard time seeing something that's already x-rated getting a change in the rating because it's not like like anyone who's gonna like like you're you're not um you're not putting it in front of any young people's eyes with an x rating there's not the risk that the rating is going to expose people to it Mm -hmm. who shouldn't be seeing it so they probably just left it well sometimes Um, they'll also release a unrated edition i guess something like that but anyway I was just curious, but um, so yeah, this film was rated X when it came out, and then there was a sequel to this film, by the way. It came out yes. uh, 1974, so a couple years later, called The Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat. Uh, Bakshi was not involved. Crum obviously was not involved, uh, <laughs> and was, was probably furious. <laughs> he was probably hiding under a rock somewhere at this point, uh, <laughs> and oh, I'm sure he was was livid about this uh, sequel coming out. So yeah, the sequel came out and that was rated R. So that's an R rated animated feature. Uh, and it was also a failure when it came out. It did not do well at all. Um, it has somewhat no. of a cult following now, yeah. um, but still not as highly regarded as, as the original Fritz the Cat. Um, I honestly don't even remember if I've seen it. I may have checked it out at some point. It must've been pretty forgettable, I guess. <laughs> no. Um but the, mostly the reason I wanted to see this movie when I when I did first see it is because I did know who Ralph Bakshi was and uh, because I did enjoy his films and, you know, I, I do see him as an auteur. I wanted to see his first movie. So uh, that was the main reason I sought this out. Um, and Jeremy, yeah. as you said, you probably saw some clips from it when you were younger or may have seen the whole thing. Um, yeah. Because it's one of those movies that cu- people kind of like will pass around or be like, hey, check this out. You know, this is kind of crazy. Because yeah. when you know when you're younger, you see these animals doing these obscene acts and and talking this way. It's uh, even now, like honestly, even, even now, now, yeah, it does. Have... Like, like watching this movie again now, I'm like, you know, 
Like, there's a lot of crazy stuff you see, but, like, I could see this being, like, something that would be on YouTube, like, internet mm. shorts that are that, like, yeah. daring and dirty. But, like, I have a hard time, and maybe it's just because I'm not watching the right, or I guess not right isn't the word, but I'm not watching a ton of animated programming. But, mm. like, some of the stuff that they dare to do on this in this movie in terms of the content, like, I have a hard time picturing a movie these days getting a wide release, you know, like, mm. an, an adult, I guess maybe... Like sausage party kind of takes it there, but even that compared to compared to this is like relatively tame. Right. There, there's still a lot of euphemisms that kind of get thrown well, around. It's interesting but like because this one, not so much. Well, also it's just like the times. You know, I feel like um, because PC, you know, people are a lot more PC now, and I think yeah. things that were, I guess you could say acceptable back then, maybe are you know would not be today. So. Uh, for example, they, there are some Jewish stereotypes at one point in the film. Uh, Bakshi is Jewish, and he was he's actually uh, born in... He, he was born in what was previously Palestine, right. but is now considered Israel. Right. So he was born in, essentially, Israel. So, I mean, he, you know, that's up for a debate, of what, you know, how you feel about that. But there are things in the film that, um, you know, that are can be seen as, as dangerous and, and still edgy to this day, for sure. Yeah, I think it's... it's, mm-hmm. it's um, that's just part of the film, I think, um, part of the man himself. And uh, so I wanted to just wrap things up here. Uh, sorry, I'm going to scroll down to my thing. So, so yeah, that's um, most of my thoughts on, on Fritz the Cat. I, I wanted to just say one other thing, and I think that uh, this film is important uh, for animated films and independent animators as well because it, it did pave the way. I think Bakshi... Mm-hmm. paved the way for um, independent animators like Bill Plimpton and others uh, who are making their own original creations. But um, this, you know, I think people saw this, other animators, other illustrators and things like that, and they were like, okay, you know, I can do that and I can maybe I can work my way into the limelight a bit more, you know, yeah. and I, I can make my uh, crazy animated film and I, you know, I can do what well, I want and it'll somehow work. <laughs> and it's not weird today to see, like, we, we're so used to seeing animated film and tv made for adults Mm -hmm. these days but like back then there there really was hardly any um and and we kind of can take it for granted now because you know if you turn on netflix you see bojack horseman big mouth bob's burgers you know like there's there's a lot of stuff that is actually made for but like back then this was kind Mm -hmm. of the thing exactly Um, so he he really paved the way for so many young creative people you're very right i think Back then, you know, you turn on the TV, you put a cartoon on, it's, it's uh, you know, Donald Duck or Bugs Bunny, Mighty and... Mouse, who, you know, actually, yeah. actually actually worked on that. But, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, and it's, so you you have that idea of it, and then someone makes a movie like Fritz the Cat, and it's, it's mind-blowing. And um, mm-hmm. it is, I, I agree, Jeremy, I think it's hard to have that mindset now if you see this film. I mean, you still feel the rawness of it, and you, it's still controversial, but... You could never imagine, like back, you know, back when the film came out in 1972, what people must have thought about this. Mm. And um, it's a film, you know, that uh, I talked about how it paved the way for other animators. But as much as it did that, it's also a film that that had many imitators. I would say, uh, and yeah. they, you know, people who tried to cash in on the idea of of an adult-oriented cartoon. <laughs> uh, but mm-hmm. I would say most of them, probably all of them. Uh, were pretty unsuccessful and none of them really grasped the audience's attention attention like uh, Fritz the Cat did and I I think a lot of that had to do with you know Bakshi was the first and I think he struck at the right time and he hit a vein I think he hit you know he hit something in the 
this like zeitgeist like you said like you yeah. know it's just um so the right right time right place right yeah. person you know. it was 1972 right after the 60s it's like all right i think we're ready to look back on yeah. what just happened and say what just happened yeah. <laughs> so mark <laughs> Uh, so are there any particular images or just because I know we like to hit on this yeah. are there any particular images or scenes that just kind of stuck with you after watching this film uh <laughs> the beginning is really I, I don't know I think that part is just um because I actually for, completely forgot about that and I do like the way it starts with just an imp- improv- improvised conversation of these uh construction workers because it really sets the tone for the film like the mm-hmm. things that they're talking about and then the way it uh it leads into the the hippie walking beneath them. I think that's like, that's the part I always think of when I um, when I think about this movie. Honestly, um, that and just like the wild party scenes and uh, yeah, you know, like and, and also like um, not even scenes, but like the actual backgrounds. Like we talked about that a little bit. Like yeah, how they they're stunningly beautiful. They are. They are. They they um you know the way they use the real photographs, you can really see that in a lot of the scenes, and um, just the way everything looks, like the characters and the the world they live in, it's just yeah, it's it's um. It's very striking. Um, yeah. But how about for you, Jeremy? What What do you think about? So it's kind of a lesser, like not even the super super important moment or anything like that in the film. Not one that gets talked about a lot. But there's just this one shot, and I actually took a screenshot of it. Um, so maybe somewhere we can try to post this. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's this moment when Fritz is just h- trying to hitchhike in the middle of the desert, mm-hmm. and there's just this long winding road that's not drawn to correct perspective. But the sky is the sky is literally red, and the only way you can differentiate the sky from the ground is this little tiny ink drawn line. And Fritz just has his thumb out and his back is to the to the, I guess the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, just something about it. I think just totally uh, encapsulated the whole movie for me. Just mm-hmm. this idea of this innocent, sweet cat who's so like dirty and lost just in the middle of nowhere just trying to find his way mm-hmm. um which yeah, and, and that's something i love like this idea yeah. that you know like the like portraying a youth as an animal that we traditionally would look at as like a cute and cuddly mm-hmm. yeah kind of thing and, and for some reason that image just really stuck with me yeah there's a lot of parts like that where he actually uses like uh experimental techniques to kind of show something in like an abstract way i think he does that um certain points in the film which he would go on to explore a lot more but i think you can see him dipping his his toe in the water with with a lot of that um Mm -hmm. and i would say that this is definitely not my favorite of bakshi's films Mm -hmm. but uh you gotta start somewhere and i think uh yeah and like i said i think you can see him finding his feet as an animator uh of feature films here and in working with an already established character i think it allowed him to actually try things, you know, and take some risks that maybe he wouldn't necessarily have done otherwise. Like if he was making his own uh, a script based off his own idea, maybe he wouldn't have had the courage to be so, as crazy with it or as you know as in your mm-hmm. face with it um, as he was with Fritz the Cat. So definitely. Um, so, what are your final thoughts uh, on Fritz the Cat? Uh, it's a really interesting, innovative movie that kind of doesn't seem to get talked as talked about as much as some of the other interesting, innovative movies at the time. Um, so I think, you know, an important important movie to see and an important movie to uh, pass along. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's movies like this that don't have this, even though it was successful in its time, I don't think it's it's following. You know, this is cult movie cult, and this is definitely a cult movie in the mm-hmm. sense that its following is, I think, shrunk over time. Um, mm. So so I think it's just one of those movies that it's important to talk about yeah. and kind of keep in the in the zeitgeist. Right. 
Yeah, because as we said, when it came out, it was a, a big deal. But yeah, you really don't hear about it as much now. No. Um, but for us, this is just the beginning. We're going to talk about uh, many of Bakshi's films, not all of them, but we're going to try to hit on uh, a lot of the main, uh, most, I guess you would say, uh, memorable. Notable. Yeah, most yeah. notable uh, films of his. Uh, and next, we are going to get a lot more personal with uh, probably my, well, I'm not going to say my favorite, but one of my favorites of his, uh, Heavy Traffic, is the next film we're going to talk about. Uh, really excited to talk about that one. There's a lot to discuss there as well. But for now, thanks for listening to Cult Movie Cult. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify, and also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.